this is Matt Puggett and welcome to our new series of Employment Law Podcasts. In this series, we are going to be having a look at how discrimination law is going to be changing in 2024 and what the current themes and influences are going to influence discrimination, equality and inclusion within employment and human resources practices in 2024. This is the first of our series of podcasts and we're going to have a look at these key legislative changes that are already confirmed as happening, a look at others that could happen in 2024 and also some others that could happen into the future. We're also going to be having a look at some of the key cases that are coming in 2024 that could make important changes or provide important clarification on key areas of employment law. This is the first part of our discrimination series, uh, part one, and we are going to be having a look at sexual harassment. So for this first episode of this series, I've decided to focus on the forthcoming changes to the legislation in connection with sexual harassment, specifically an amendment to the legislation to require employers to take steps to prevent sexual harassment at work. So, don't employers have to prevent sexual harassment now anyway? Well, you might think that this is an incredibly stupid question. You might think that this is obvious, that of course they, employers must have to do this. But actually, strictly speaking, no, they don't. Um, So what are employers required to do to prevent sexual harassment at work? Well, nothing really, not not technically. That's not to say that there aren't consequences for employers if they don't try to stop harassment. Workers and employers can bring claims of harassment for uh, conduct of a sexual nature, or in fact, any of the other protective characteristics such as race, sexual orientation, gender identity, disability, under Section 26 of the Equality Act. But the bringing of a claim doesn't necessarily mean that an employer has to do anything to stop harassment. After all, they can simply settle claims and just carry on as before, as has been highlighted in some of the more high-profile cases uh, involving people such as Harvey Weinstein and Philip Green. So this has called into question, particularly under the Me Too movement, whether the current legislation actually works. Well, we've seen reported towards the end of the year in 2023 in a recent survey that nearly two thirds of female surgeons said that they had been the target of sexual harassment and that a third had reported that they had actually been sexually assaulted by colleagues in the last five years. And these are absolutely horrendous statistics. Why is this still happening? How can this still be permitted? How can this still be legal? Well, of course, you know, it isn't legal. Um, Those individuals are perfectly able to bring claims uh, under the Equality Act, under Section 26 of the Equality Act, uh, for for those sorts of behaviours. But it doesn't mean that there's anything that actually requires employers to take proactive, preventative steps to stop it from happening in the first place. That is until now. So there is going to be a change in the legislation um, in all likelihood um, in October of 2024 of this year, although we don't have a confirmed date. Now, this change in the legislation is going to require employers to to take this preventative action 
it will require them to take steps to prevent sexual harassment at work rather than just simply having to mop up the after effects after sexual harassment perhaps has taken place. So this has been achieved through legislation that was passed uh, in the months leading up to Christmas um, called the Worker Protection Open Brackets Amendment of Equality Act 2010 Close Brackets Act 2023. So this legislation sets out the introduction of a legal duty to be placed on employers to take reasonable steps to prevent sexual harassment in the workplace. The legislation is also going to give tribunals the power to uplift any sexual harassment compensation by up to 25% where an employer is found to have breached this new duty to prevent sexual harassment. So this is going to operate in a very similar way to the current ACAS code of practice in relation to disciplinary and grievance procedures where if an employer is found to have unfairly dismissed an employee and they haven't followed those uh, code of practice guidelines uh, as published by ACAS in their disciplinary and grievance code of practice, if they haven't followed those then the tribunal can uplift that compensation by up to 25%. So it's going to operate in the same way. So what does taking reasonable steps to prevent sexual harassment actually mean? Well, the only real guidance that we have at the moment in relation to this is previous case law that has assessed the current defence to harassment claims. So to explain, currently under the Equality Act, and specifically under section 109 open brackets, four close brackets of the Equality Act, an employer can potentially avoid liability for a claim of discrimination by demonstrating to the tribunal that they've taken, quote, all reasonable steps to prevent the act from happening in the first instance. What the section actually says is that where proceedings are brought against the employer in respect of anything alleged to have been done by A, A being the employee, in the course of A's employment, it is a defence for the employer to show that it took all reasonable steps to prevent A, employee, from doing that thing or from doing that anything of that description. So essentially, if I were to, for example, harass a colleague at work in relation to one of the protected characteristics, and that colleague was then to sue my and their employer as a result of that harassment by me, then my employer could then say to the tribunal that it has taken all reasonable steps to prevent me from undertaking that act. So for example, it could say that, you know, it's provided me with training, it's got a clear policy, it's told me not to do this. So essentially they are saying that, well, we told Matt not to act in this, work, in this way. We told him very clearly not to act in this way. So therefore, how can it be our fault that Matt has then gone ahead and acted in a way that we told him not to act? Therein lies the principle of the, of the defence. And so what this means is that if employers are then able to establish that they've taken all reasonable steps to prevent their employees from acting in this way, then they can, under the current law, avoid liability for the discriminatory acts of their employees. Now, there are clearly 
many issues when employment tribunals are deciding who is actually going to be culpable, legally culpable for discriminatory acts, because clearly that is uh, probably another podcast in it in itself. Um, but what these cases have done is that they can provide us with some good guidance, some good ideas about what we are going to have to do under this new legislation, the new legislation that's going to require us to take preventative action. Now, as a minimum, what we can understand from the cases that have gone through the court so far, when they've been looking at this section 109.4, is that as a minimum, we really must have an equal opportunities policy and or an anti-harassment policy. We must be able to show that the policy has been clearly and effectively communicated to everyone, that we've undertaken training on equal opportunities, dignity at work, anti-harassment, inclusion, whatever label might have been attributed uh, to that training, and that we take action when complaints are raised with the business. So this isn't simply a case of, please don't do this, but we're actually not going to enforce it. We've got to actually be able to demonstrate that we take action where there are breaches of our rules in this regard. So that's really the where the minimum sits at the moment. Now, we have been assured that the Equality and Human Rights Commission will be publishing some more detailed guidance for employers to assist in the development of their approach to this new legislation. But I think actually one of the recent cases that we've seen reported um, can provide us with some quite clear guidance already. And this is the case of Fisher and London United Busways Limited. Now, this does come with a couple of caveats. Um, first of all, the, is that the this case has been reported at ET level only. When I say ET level only, that means it's been to the Employment Tribunal, but there hasn't been any appeal, so it doesn't have the power of uh, power or effect of a decision uh, at Employment Appeal Tribunal level would have. But nonetheless, it provides one of the most recent analyses of the reasonable steps defence. One further uh, caveat, and very important distinction that I also need to be very clear on before I go into the details of this case, is that there is a difference between the Section 109.4 defence in the Equality Act and the new requirement under the Worker Protection Act. And that is that under the Section 109.4, as a defence to claims of harassment, an employer must be able to show that it's taken all reasonable steps to prevent the harassment from taking place. Now, under the new Worker Protection Act, whilst the word all was also included in the draft legislation, it was at quite a late stage removed by the House of Lords. And accordingly, the new preventative legislation will only require employers to take reasonable steps, not all reasonable steps. So this is naturally going to make a difference in the standards that will be applied to these tests. But notwithstanding that, I still think that this Fisher case provides us with helpful guidance on what we need to do. So in this case, and I'm not going to get into the, to the uh, specific facts of the case, um, rather I'm just going to focus and home in on the, uh, the comments that the tribunal have made about the reasonable steps defence. So in this case, London Busways argued that it had taken all reasonable steps 
to prevent the harassment from taking place. And it pointed out the fact that it had equal opportunities and harassment policies from 2007, that those policies emphasised that it took a zero tolerance approach to the enforcement of those policies, that the policies were sent to all agencies that provided workers to the employer, the policies were part of the employer's induction process, everyone was encouraged to report concerns, and there was also evidence that complaints, including those of the complainant, were investigated and addressed. So on the face of it, these are all reasonable steps to take. However, as I said, the law, section 1094, requires all reasonable steps to have been taken, and the tribunal in this instance concluded that the following additional steps could and should have been undertaken by the employer. So they said, point one, that the respondent should have kept its relevant policies up to date. The employment policies dated from 2007 that the employer used. Um, and specifically, the, the Equal Opportunities Policy refers to repeal of legislation and fails to refer to the Equality Act because, of course, the Equality Act came into force in 2010. Um, so, point number one, ensure that your policies are kept under review and up to date. The second point that the tribunal made was that policies need to state and be clear as to who they apply to. Where a business uses, as was the case in this instance, a large number of agency workers, it is important the policy clearly communicates to that group that the policy is relevant to them, that they can make complaints in relation to breaches of that policy, and of course that they also need to abide by the standards of behaviour set out within it. Point number three, that the focus on equality alone is insufficient. And I think that this is one, one really key um, point in terms of the trend within equality and discrimination and the approach that employers need to take in this regard, is that equality without inclusion risks members of a workforce who belong to minority groups not bringing their whole selves to work, with the result that the workplace is the poorer for it. So one of Miss Fisher's complaints in this case, so Miss Fisher obviously being the claimant in this case, is that she didn't feel that she was wanted in the organisation because she was transgender. Now, a policy that sets an expectation of inclusion of people with diverse characteristics and that sets the tone that their skills and experiences and characteristics and perspectives will be celebrated is a start in changing that experience. Um, in this instance, for transgender people, but in other instances, it would be for any of the other protected characteristics um, that may be at play in the case. And so what we really need to do is it's not, as I said, it's not simply about equality. It's not simply about treating everybody the same. It's about going that extra step and making sure that steps are taken to include people, include other employees, include other workers of, um, of different groups, different minority groups, in a way that perhaps um, we haven't been doing previously. But that's a wider trend that I think I will pick up on one of the later um, series of podcasts, um, one of the later series of these discrimination podcasts that we'll be doing. Point number four that the tribunal made was that while the employer pointed to the fact that its equal opportunities and harassment policies were on displays on its notice boards, 
Many employees only spent a small portion of their working day around the Lotus Board. And in that context, the tribunal stated that regular and refreshed training and communications emphasizing the importance of equality and diversity and inclusion is, is essential. And so this could you know, include attachments accompanying digital payslips, printed leaflets, and other printed communications. So essentially making sure that we're getting the message out to employees in as many different formats as possible. Because of course, you know, and again, from a from an equality and inclusion and discrimination point of view, if we can vary the way in which we communicate with our employees, um, then it means that those individuals who might have difficulty accessing um, a particular method of communication um, that we use can all can use one of the other methods of communication that we use. Point number five, in an, an organisation of the size of this employer and uh, London Busways had around 3,000 people that they engaged, that doesn't mean 3,000 employees, because um, as I said previously, they, they used a, a large number of agency workers as well. But the tribunal found it surprising that they did not have employee representative groups for some of its minority groups, e.g. an LGBTQ plus representative group or a minority ethnic representative group. Um, support from an employer in the formation and operation of these sorts of groups will allow ideas for improvement to come from diverse groups so as to enable a business to improve its approach to issues affecting those groups. Now, admittedly, again, you know, this is having a look at the all reasonable steps defence, and we are looking at an employer, uh, a, a pretty large employer that deals with 3,000 uh, employees and workers of, of varying status. Um, but it does show, again, the sorts of standards that perhaps we should be striving for. Um, now, do I personally think that under the obligation to... Um, to meet the requirements of the Worker Protection Act and take the preventative, proactive preventative action in relation to sexual harassment. Is there a need to have employee representative groups? I think on balance that's that's unlikely to be the case. Um, but certainly if you're having a look at what your provisions are in terms of uh, equal opportunities, uh, anti-discrimination, anti-bullying, anti-harassment, uh, policies and procedures and initiatives that you have, uh, then this is certainly an area that you should be looking at, particularly if you are a larger employer. And then finally, number six, the final point that the Employment Tribunal made was that the employer should have done more in relation to training. In the actual Employment Tribunal hearing, the Tribunal heard that uh, a number of the respondents' witnesses did not know the meaning of terms such as cis or trans, uh, because as I said before, this case focused on an employee that was transgender. And it also uh, showed that the witnesses did not know the correct term to refer to a woman uh, that was attracted to women. And in areas such as these, the claimant stated throughout the hearing that language is important and the way that individuals refer to uh, them and speak about them is very important. And this is the sort of thing that the respondent could have done more, London Busways could have done more in relation to training their employees um, in the appropriate use of appropriate language.
And so those six points there, I mean, they're, they're really detailed and they are setting the bar um, somewhat higher than perhaps um, many of you might have otherwise expected a tribunal to set the bar at. But as I said, that bar is in relation to the all reasonable steps defence. And I don't think, or should I say, I, to be a little bit more specific, it is my view that the bar is not going to be set nearly as high um, in the uh, reasonable steps test that is going to be used in relation to this new legislation, because, of course, the word all has been removed from this piece of legislation. Now, of course, the Equality and Human Rights Commission guidance, which we are uh, anticipating being published uh, within the first half of this year, is therefore going to be essential in guiding employers through this new legislation. Um, and the EHRC play an important role in this legislation because it's not just about the possibility of an increase in the compensation to individuals that uh, relates to the enforcement of this legislation. And because if you recall, towards the beginning of the podcast, um, I told you about the fact that compensation in sexual harassment cases could be uplifted by up to 25% uh, as a result of any failure by the employer to implement this preventative steps, the reasonable steps to prevent sexual harassment taking place in the workplace. That isn't the only enforcement aspect of this legislation. The Equality and Human Rights Commission is also going to be permitted to take direct enforcement action against employers. So specifically, it's going to be able to use its powers under the Equality Act 2006 to undertake litigation about, uh, against uh, particular employers. It will be able to investigate employers um, and target systematic non-compliance as well. So this could be used by employees and workers in advance or possibly even alongside their own litigation against their employer. Now, this legislation is this, this requirement for employers to take preventative action to prevent sexual harassment occurring in the workplace is, in my view, the biggest change in equality legislation we've seen since 2010. It will no doubt require employers to ensure that the prevention of harassment becomes part of the business compliance toolkit in a way that it just simply hasn't done for a very large proportion of employers. There needs to be an embracing of inclusion and diversity within businesses and an understanding that the use of workplace banter, whether sexual or otherwise, is a business risk that is simply no longer worth taking. Of course, we can help you with your compliance with this significant change in legislation. So in order to prepare you for this change, Acting characteristics as well. We can provide you with either face-to-face -face or uh, virtual interactive training for your employees on the standards of behaviour that is expected of them in respect to matters relating to sexual harassment specifically. But of course, that can be done on a broader uh, basis for the other protected characteristics as well. Um, we can provide you with e-learning packages that will focus on sexual harassment, but also have a look at other training courses. We'll also have a look at the 
language that is used, so as was referred to in this in the Fisher case. So it's about, about providing assistance to your employees. It's about providing them with a toolkit of uh, terms and phrases that they should be using in respect to protected characteristics, uh, rather than simply telling them off when they get it wrong. So taking that proactive and helpful stance with your employees is going to help them uh, ensure that you comply with your obligations as well. Um, if you ever get into a situation where you are having to investigate sexual harassment matters, uh, then we can conduct investigations into sexual harassment for you, um, including um, also grievance hearings and also disciplinary hearings as well, if need be. Um, and of course, if you were to receive an employment tribunal claim, or any complaint in relation to sexual harassment, then we can provide all of that uh, legal support that you might need in relation to that. So obviously just contact uh, us for any further details. In the meantime, we will of course provide another update once the EHRC guidance has been published, which obviously is gonna be key to the way that the implementation of uh, this moves forward. Uh, but certainly as a to-do, for 2024, I would strongly encourage you to be reviewing your policies in relation to harassment. I would be strongly encouraging you to ensure that you have some systematic uh, training set up for all of your workers and employees. And ensure that the messages that you're sending out to your employees, that the communication of all of these initiatives uh, throughout 2024 is clear to all of your employees. So they know and understand what it is you're trying to achieve and what standards of behavior you are setting for them. Um, in the meantime, thank you very much. I hope that you found this uh, podcast useful and informative. If you need to contact us for any help, then obviously please do so. And I do hope to see you in one of our later podcasts in this series as well. Thank you.